and be sure to access the link in this episode for access to all its giving content. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of It's Giving, hosted by your boy, Brandon the Introvert. In this episode, we'll be discussing P-Valley Season 2, Episode 5, White Nights. Ooh, hey, y'all. So we are at the, what, mid-season I don't know why I was about to say mid-season finale, but we're at the middle of the season, um, White Nights. We got five more episodes to go. This definitely was a very special episode. I wouldn't call it a standalone. It still was continuous with the plot, if I use that right. But um, this was a special episode in the sense that it was a Keyshawn-heavy, Keyshawn-focused episode, and pretty much the first episode where we get like a full concrete flashback uh of a character to kind of just get their story and get to know who they are even further and i i always say i love i love character development i love it because i feel like when you unravel when you unravel the characters you see what the creator of the show you see what the writers are trying to tell in the grand scheme of story um and when you get to know the characters and you see how they react to certain things, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Even though that might have not have been the best thing. I'm not talking about Keyshawn in this sense, but just in general, okay, even though that might not have been the best way or I wouldn't have done it that way or, ooh, that was fucked up. When you know, when you get that unraveling of the character throughout the series, you're like, okay, it makes sense now because now you know the character. And then I feel like at that point, when you know the characters, you kind of really get, oh, okay, they're trying to tell this story. They're trying to hone, the, uh, bring in this theme. They're trying to say this. You know what I mean? So, and I feel like I kind of, this episode helped me get a better feel, of course, of Keyshawn, but as a series as a whole. And this is probably one of my favorite episodes, but also an episode that I probably will not be going back to just to watch because it was definitely heavy. And, um, but yeah, this was, P-Valley is like, like I said, the first couple episodes were definitely set up, and I figured that's that was the case. But it just it's elevating, it's pushing through, it's getting heavier, it's getting deeper. And I just saw a tweet like, "This show isn't just about stripping; it's about it's about the black experience, pretty much. This is just one part of it. Um, it's a black story. It's a black story. At the end of the day, I wouldn't even say this is a stripper show. Blah blah blah. blah. It's a black story." But anyway, let's get into it. So this episode was directed by Pamela Romanowski and written by the one and only Katori Hall. And I just want to preface this. uh, This episode and this pod episode, we'll be discussing a little bit about just rape and abuse, which is prevalent uh, throughout this whole episode. And um, yeah, we're just so any trigger warnings because it was definitely triggering in a lot of different ways watching this episode. Um, I teared up each and every time I watched it. It's um, it's heavy. It's heavy, but it's real. It's real. And I think they did a great job of kind of conveying the feeling and emotions behind um, those who go through abuse. So um, also you're, you're going to hear me say, oh, Uncle Clifford narrates this because Uncle Clifford is kind of a a fairy godmother of sorts in this episode. And uh, she constantly like narrates Keyshawn and just 
allows the audience to kind of get like a uh what's the word allows the audience to break away from the story and kind of analyze it a little bit I, I feel like i'm not saying it in a great way but it allows us to say okay all right mm-hmm this is okay. Like Uncle Clifford's like, oh, and she didn't react this way because blah, 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 blah. So it like helps us understand the story at a deeper level. And the whole concept of this episode is kind of like a, uh, I call it a ghetto fairy tale Cinderella. And we notice that uh, what in the previous episodes and even in season one, there's some hinting at Keyshawn and the fairy tale motif and how that works together and works together in telling her story. So we have that concept throughout the episode. But anyway, we the opening scene, we are finally in Atlanta. I feel like, of course, Atlanta has been hinted back and forth because, of course, Atlanta to me is the capital of the South. That's how I view it. Um, what other major city can rival Atlanta? You can't say Dallas. Houston, cool, but Houston don't have that same Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Miami is in Florida. Miami is its own thing. But Atlanta, I view that as like the New York of the South, pretty much. But anyways, they uh, we're having a Legends Ball for Miami Tip, Gigi McGuire, and Jessica Dime, and Jocelyn Hernandez. Of course, uh, these women... I don't know too much about Miami Tip. Gigi, I definitely know of Jessica Dime and, of course, Jocelyn. But for these women who have paved the way and kind of broke barriers in terms of being, you know, strippers, dancers, but made it more than just that. Um, made it so you, you know, it's a not status, but I'm going to just leave it at that. It's more than just stripper and dancing. You can go through different avenues and opportunities. And we see the doors are wide open. We got SZA. We got Cardi B. We got uh, uh, even NeNe. You want to say NeNe? Sure, NeNe. Um, who've had backgrounds and who have worked as dancers and strippers and have, I don't even want to say made something of themselves. They just use it as a stepping stone to get to where they need to get to and bust the doors wide open and becoming more than just a dancer become powerful actually so but anyway Keyshawn is getting ready to perform and Rome is telling her she's about to have her own lace front line and that's exactly what Keyshawn wanted and you know she's trying to get into this influential slash marketing slash you know kind of business mogul venture and lace front line will be the next venture he has her choose these wigs one is a blue water wave red kool-aid peruvian and five layer skunk and she's not feeling all that she's like yet tell and she chooses this long kind of ferret faucet-esque type of blonde wig and um this is uh, from the tweets, I'm going to be referencing that from Katori Hall's tweets, like her and the writers are very generous with just explaining each and every episode and stuff. So this is viewed as Keyshawn's one of her final forms, pretty much as they call it. And I think this is when she kind of breaks into her own self. So this is kind of the start of that. And um, she's wearing this long blonde wig, very Cinderella s very, very Cinderella. And she likes it. After that, he tells her that she got another two weeks on the Dirty Dozen tour, but that's not what he said. He said the initial deal was one more week. And of course, 
she wants to get back to home to her babies as quick as possible. And, you know, dealing with Derek, who's a crazy maniac. Of course, she wants to get back to her babies. Um, and But Rome, you know, even though she, she said that's not what we agreed on, Rome trying to say, you know, just stick it out. We got two more weeks left. I'm going to get you out of here, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to save you, blah, 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 like all these other niggas say. And, um, and Uncle Clifford even points out, like, many can't help but getting caught up in the universe of her and trying to save her. But when the timing is right, like, saving yourself has to be ripe. You can't. The true saving yourself will come when it comes when you're ready. And you know when you're ready, pretty much. So we'll see that theme across just the savior and just, yeah, the savior of it all. So now uh, Keyshawn is, she's a full-on Cinderella in this context. And I think it's just pure genius. I really was looking forward to seeing this episode because I've never seen anything like this before. And just the fairy tale motif, like they really, from the music to the costumes, to the scenes, to the lines, to the narration, it was giving very much Disney very very fairy tale fairy tale and I, I just love the kind of the elements of all of that but they made it where it's not shoving down your throat they made it where it's just black it's just black authentically black um and kind of when you have stories told by us it's seamless to me so um Keyshawn in this scenario and in, in her life is definitely a damsel in distress uh kind of a diamond in the rough who don't know her worth yet but Instead of men saving her, like in the traditional fairy tale stories, she has to liberate her own self. Because really, at the end of the day, in her case, in many cases, and in the world, really, men are the niggas that really be trapping you and abusing you. So now we're on that. I didn't mean to talk that much for this, just the opening scene, but I had to really give that kind of breakdown because this is a special episode. This isn't just a regular P-Valley episode. This is a special, special episode. So anyway, um, the Dirty Dozen group, they're in Atlanta Strip Club. Lil Murder upset he can't perform Mississippi Pride because, you know, it's Keyshawn's day. But not because it's Keyshawn's day, but he's just upset because there's a, 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 a he sampled an Atlanta song, so he thought it would be perfect. And Teak talking about, where you you got the musicology, and they don't know the musicology. Like, they... You could tell Teak is just really just upset about what happened where, you know, they had sex and he found out he in love with Uncle Clifford and all of that. So Teak, he's just very, very salty right now. And they're arguing over obvious reasons. And then we see Jocelyn literally, apparently somebody says Jocelyn. It is Jocelyn, I think. But I always say Jocelyn because it's the way it's spelled. But we see her flying down as like a fairy godmother of sorts. Like I really love that scene. Um, and she introduces like, you know, this is the legends ball and the, the woman who kind of made it possible and made it pop and et cetera, et cetera. And then she introduces kind of like the new generation that's really taking it to another level. And she introduces Miss Mississippi um, and like I said before, this Legends Ball is significant because it's commemorating uh, the strippers, the dancers who paved the way and changed the culture. Um, so it's cool to see that kind of an action in, uh, through P-Valley because we're not going to see that on mainstream television. We're not. We're not. We're not. 
So it's cool that P Valley is uh kind of taking that and doing that. And um I told a friend about this a couple days ago, but this we're living in a renaissance in all this isn't even because what Beyonce her album I've been saying it everybody feels it not just me Beyonce feels it everybody feels it um people feel it and um not just in one sector but in all sectors like in terms of stripper culture gone are the days where if you strip in that's the only thing you can do it's become uh, a way to make money beyond that now it's become glamorized it's become respected it's become uplifted it's become a hobby for most for many it's become a stepping stone to stardom the game has definitely changed i told you we see cardi b super global megastar jocelyn um SZA, summer walker nini like it's not just one thing anymore and i think that speaks to a lot of facets of culture you can make things other things now uh in a way where you're not boxed in anymore but anyway enough of that uh now we segue into Keyshawn's past right now she has moved from I forget the high school but now she had Chuckalisa High and we see she's doing cheerleading tryouts and we see Gidget is the coach and we also see their friends uh just like in the present they were friends in the past too so they have history Keyshawn isn't quite there yet as a cheerleader, but her sister Alicia seems very capable. And um, yeah, we see that she has a sister, a stepsister. And uh, we also see this is where Keyshawn first meets Derek. Uh, met him at tryouts. He was one of the cheerleaders as well, picking her up and all of that. And they kind of, like in a fairy tale, it's kind of like a love at first sight type of thing. And um, like I said before, this is our first official flashback. I knew, I didn't know because we are already in mid, the middle of season two. I didn't know if like, are they ever going to use a flashback as a tool? But at this point, it's confident. Like I'm confident in saying every show when it's kind of in this format, we're going to need a flashback. We're going to need some type of telling of the past. In my opinion, you need as many points as possible to get a full picture of a character, whether that be in the future, of course, in the present, but in the past, you know, so, um, of course. So I'm looking forward to flashbacks, especially Uncle Clifford, but I don't think we're going to get that in this season or maybe even the next season. I don't think we're going to get that, but um, we'll see. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, this is our first official full on flashback and it's beautiful in a way. Um, so next we see Keyshawn, she just resting on a bench and, uh, one of the football players tries to holla at her. And when she's just not feeling him, he starts to resort to color jokes, like saying, Oh, like, be careful. Don't be out in the sun. Your ass going to get burnt. Like, Oh, I forgot you already burnt shit like that. Even though he's pretty much the same color as her. And we see colorism is a prevalent thing in this episode as well. And we even see like some things that Keyshawn says herself, like all that, all that yellow gone to waste. Like we see she got some color struck ways about her, especially like her being with Derek is also, I feel like connected to that as well. But we see why she kind of has that uh, mindset uh, as we move on throughout the episode. But Anyway, we see Derek uh, defend Keyshawn, and he ends up taking he ends up getting the fight with all three of the players in like 
pretty much smashes the one that um that was uh talking shit about Keyshawn in front of her. And we kind of see through this scene, like this nigga got some he seems nice and kind and stoic and all of that, but he got some demonic energy. Like he the guy spat on him, yes. And yes, you know, you got in a fight, but the way he was pummeling him, it showed that he had no control. And to me, it showed he was a ticking time bomb. So Keyshawn, for me, I was like, this is the first, this is the, this is a red flag right here. Okay. You get in a fight with somebody that's bad on you. All right. Like that's whatever. But he was just wailing on him, like wailing. He could not be controlled. And uh, it was scary. It was scary seeing that, especially knowing who Derek is in the future and who Derek is. So we see that was the first sign right there. In the next scene, a cheerleader tryout results are out and Alicia has made the squad, but Keyshawn didn't make the squad. And the um, uh, pretty predictable. Alicia killed it. Keyshawn didn't. That's eh, what it is, what it is. But anyway, uh, we see it turns out the boys that were kind of picking on Keyshawn, they get suspended, but Derek gets nothing. If that's not privilege, I don't know what is. Um, yes, the boys said some shit, but the fact they got suspended, all three of them, and Derek was the one pummeling them, at least all, if you're going to suspend them, you got to suspend him too. Something. But apparently, I mean, of course, white privilege, but also he's good at the cheerleading and Chuck Elisa needs their fifth uh, cheerleading championship, whatever. So he gets away scot-free. And of course, Derek is smug about it. But uh, throughout this scene, we see Derek and Keyshawn alerting heavily. And Keyshawn, she's love-struck. She, like, you see in her eyes the way um, Shannon Thornton, too. I just, she... She killed it in this episode, but let me not let me not get off track. But Keyshawn is love struck. We see in her eyes, she got the googly eyes, and she's just completely madly in love with him. You see it. And of course, it definitely probably has something to do with her being white. I I think she has a fractured relationship with black people in general, um, let alone black men. Um, and we see the effects of colorism. So now we're taken to Keyshawn's house, which is so apparently. So here's the setup. She has two stepsisters and a stepmother and their father. Her father's name is uh, James. And I guess he's wealthy because the house they in is huge. Now, the and it's very much like when they when they showed it, it's so crazy. Like, even though we're not in Victorian times in the 16, 1700s. In this setting, that is basically a castle. You know, having a house like that, especially in the South, that's basically having a castle. Um, and the fi- family dynamic between these women, the stepmom is evil. The stepmom is colorist, all of that. It, she's They're all black, but she could tell, you could tell it's very much light is right. The closer to white is right. And she treats the daughters just like that. She basically forgets about Keyshawn all the time, tries to say, oh, it's hard raising two girls, but it's like, girl, you have three. Um, She treats her like shit. She treats her like a servant. Um, She treats her like a tool, basically a tool to beautify her daughters. But in terms of treating Keyshawn as a fully fledged person with her own feelings, with her own thoughts, bumpkiss, nothing. 
Um, and the sisters, like you can tell, they probably will also have a complex because the stepmother reinforces that colorism and reinforces insecurity that probably all of them feels by just like the light, the color that you have is all that you have. That is your strength. You know what I mean? Not you, but your beauty and your light skin is your strength. Um, so that's kind of the family dynamic that we see. And Keyshawn, we see she's regularly tasked with just taking care of her sisters when it comes to beauty and most likely fashion. And um, she's used as a servant, just like Cinderella was. And um, so anyway, she's doing her sister's hair and she accidentally burns off Laronica's hair. And of course, she gets chastised for it. And obviously, the stepmom, she obviously has favorites. It's it's Keyshawn at the bottom, then Laronica at the second, and then Alicia at the like, top. Because Alicia, according to Uncle Clifford, is her pride and joy. And you can tell all of them are going to have grow, growing up, they're going to grow up to have an inferiority, inferiority, inferior complex. They're going to they gonna think they're inferior because of their color and because of just they're going to attribute their who they are to just pure beauty. And we see that's how Keyshawn thinks as well. Like my I mean, even though she knows she's, you know, darker skin and stuff she i think she deep down she wants to be light you know what i mean she wants to be as close to whiteness as possible and she also views her beauty as like like as uncle clifford said that's your strength and that is her strength i think she flips it to make it her strength but let me let me let me just tell the story we'll talk about it anyway um so we're at the next day and Keyshawn and her sisters with Laronica in that mullet wig um they're talking about these two balls. So they have a Christmas ball every year. And apparently one is informed two both of them are informally called the nigger toe and the cracker toe. So apparently as Chuckalisa's black population is getting higher, um, the white parents didn't like that. So they have a ball of their own called the cracker toe. And then the nigger toe is the one, the actual school one. Um, and it's basically the outcome is it's segregated pretty much and yeah is is pretty much that and i've heard of segregated balls in the deep south so i would not be i wouldn't be shocked if i if i heard they still exist and persist because mississippi this whole this whole episode gave me mississippi still in the 60s like I had to keep reminding myself, okay, this was like probably 10 years ago. So probably early 2010s, maybe late 2000s, but probably definitely early 2010s. So this isn't the 60s, not just because of racism, just the dress and just the whole culture of like, you know, the segregated balls and just the, the heavy intensity on like just sports and shit like that. Like just, even their dress a little bit, it was very much 60s. But anyway, uh, we see Keyshawn. She gets caught up in the rain, and Derek gives her a ride. And they end up at a diner. Derek tells her that he'll end up being the co-captain of the cheer squad. Cheer squad, and he's going to get a full ride, even though he says his parents have the money to pay for it. 
And from then on, she notices a bruise on his face. And that's like, hmm, we don't get into the truth of that just yet. But we can surmise that this nigga is being abused. While they're at the diner, we we get a Woodbine appearance. And according to Katori, this Jocelyn, of course, Uncle Clifford, uh, Woodbine kind of serves as another guide in this instance. Uh, she makes it known that Derek needs to be taking care of her. And, you know, subtly is saying he's white, not just because he's a man, but he's white, a white man in the South. You can take care of it. You can pay for it. If you're with Keyshawn, she shouldn't have to be worrying or paying for shit. Um, she shouldn't have to be wanting for anything, to be honest. Uh, he later says, like, oh, I want to take you out on dates. But Keyshawn points out her blackness and says, like, would you embrace me pretty much? Would you take me home? And then it's an awkward pause because, like, nigga, you know you wouldn't. But Keyshawn. <sighs> Keyshawn. So anyway, uh, we see the girls are setting up the house for Christmas, the Christmas ball. Well, Christmas. And uh, they get into talking about courting and blah, 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 and dating and sliding into DMs. And uh, we get to the question of how James came in the picture from Alicia. Uh, and Shanice, the stepmom, says all she had to do was serve him a drink. But Keyshawn points out, you know, you served his wife a drink first so don't act like y'all fell in love and he was completely single you took him away from a wife that he already had um and Keyshawn even says like you basically turned from a home wrecker to homemaker and Shanice they just both get into it Shanice calls her and her mother ghetto and they start throwing shit at each other and Shanice sends her to her room and uh, once Keyshawn gets into her room, Uncle Clifford, we hear her uh, narrate in the background again, saying that she was in the same position. So uh, I wonder if Uncle Clifford also, like, in terms of Grandma Ernestine, they're cool, obviously, but I wonder how her parents treated Uncle Clifford. I wonder how that dynamic was and the control that they probably had on her and kind of, I really wonder because it seems like Uncle Clifford and Keyshawn has similar backgrounds. But anyway, we segue back into the club and Keyshawn gets some advice from Jocelyn and tells her, you know, to them, you'll always be a hoe. But in the words of our sister Cardi B, hoes never get cold. So she tells her basically like, no matter what you're going to do, no matter how you present yourself, because you're out there dancing for these men, they're going to view you as less than. And women, too, are going to view you as less than as if you're not a person. But that's okay. Because you can, you need, <laughs> that's okay. Because you need to still get this money, basically. You still going to get this money. You know, ha let them have their opinions. Do you keep it pushing, pretty much? So now we go back to Keyshawn in the ball. And we see her dad is, a, is a, pretty much a, a pedo. He see as Keyshawn is taking pictures of her uh, stepsisters in the dates. We see the dad get into the picture, and he's like touching Alicia, and you could tell she's obviously uncomfortable. And who knows what other shit he's done or tried to pull or weird comments he said to her. Who knows? Um, 
So Derek, uh, we see Derek come out, and I wish they kind of explored that a little more, but I guess that wasn't the focal the focal point of the story. But um, yeah, we see her dad was a little bit of a creep, not a little bit, but was a creep. So uh, then we see Derek arrive out the blue, and he got a custom dress for her, custom heels, all of that, and he takes her as her date uh, to the Krakatoa. Um, and then from then on, I love how they play uh, Coco in the background, but we see the differences between the Nigato and the Krakato. The Krakato, they got champagne. The dances are whack. Um, they got lobster. They got shit like that going on. It's in a mansion. It's it's a ball, like a ball ball, like a very formal ball. At the Nigato, we got people twerking. They got uh, red solo cups. They got uh, uh, sandwich platters instead of lobster. Like, it's obviously different. But you could tell, I mean, the Nigato and the Krakato, which one would you go to? The Nigato. They were definitely having more fun. Like, the Krakato was definitely giving bland, definitely money, but bland. Um, I really love this scene a lot. I really enjoyed this scene. But we see the differences um, in a lot of different ways uh, in terms of the tone, the vibe the the wealth um we see a lot of the differences and of course at the nigato the only white person there was gidget and at the krakato the only black person that was there was Keyshawn. so that's also a, a interesting kind of relationship or connection i guess if you want to call it between them gidget is trying to be black Keyshawn is trying to be white so after the ball we see derek still has bruises on him and at this point, I think, I'm trying to think, did he say, did he allude to his father doing it? I think he might have in this, at this, at this point. Um, but at this point, we could assume he's being abused by his father. I mean, who else? Shit, maybe his mom, but it, it's definitely his father. So we see that Derek has lived in a household of abuse and so has Keyshawn, but more so mental and physical in a way. Like, if you throwing shit at your stepdaughter, who else know? Like, what other shit were you doing behind the scenes, you know? So we see Keyshawn has also been living in abuse. And I think sometimes we don't realize, like, because it's not physical um, and she's been seeing. I don't know if she realizes her father has been abusing her uh her stepsister but basically we can say both of them have lived in households of abuse uh then we start seeing snow begin to fall which really adds to the magic of the story because snow falling in mississippi come on that doesn't happen so it definitely adds to kind of the magical element of the story and maybe in Keyshawn's head like this love this night was definitely meant to be and that kind of adds to everything so then they get in the car and they have sex for the first time. And I'm like, girl, you ain't wrap it up. Nothing. And nigga, you didn't wrap it up. So I'm like, ugh. But uh, Uncle Clifford then uh, says, you know, they followed the rules their whole lives. And for Keyshawn, it was chocolate girls weren't deserving. And for uh, Derek, it was chocolate girls weren't deserving. So he grew up racist. She grew up having that internalized racism in her as well. Uh, and then 
what was it? Yes, we it was still uh in this the past. Keyshawn comes in at night uh from the ball. We see she made it before her sisters and the stepmom is there waiting. She's looking very sad, lonely, definitely wine drunk. Who knows what it could be? Maybe she knows that her husband is touching his daughter, her daughter. Maybe she thought her daughters were going to listen to her in curfew. It could be a lot because she seems to be suffering on the inside. I feel like when you're evil, you're suffering on the inside. I mean, there's no, it takes more energy to be evil. It really, truly does. And I feel like it, let me, let me just keep going. <laughs> she points out um, Keyshawn's custom dress. Everything fit her perfectly. However, Keyshawn never got to pick. Also with the dress, we see a lot of the clothes she wears um, has a blue shade to it. Like in Cinderella, um, it has a blue uh, shade, basically. Um, but Keyshawn ignores this advice and is just like, what the fuck do you know? She doesn't say that, but it's just very much like, I'm not listening to you. Why would I listen to you? But she says, make sure you watch out for these men because he can get you as a Barbie, but he can always get another Barbie. That's just how men operate. And I feel like that's kind of a guide in a way, whether, I mean, in this case, she's the evil stepmom, but... I think at the end of the day, it boils down to all these guys are saying you need to be independent from a man um, and you need to control your own narrative and speak up for what you deserve. And I feel like through Uncle Clifford, through Jocelyn, through even this evil stepmom, through uh, Woodbine, I feel like that has been the common thread uh, in these tidbits of knowledge that they've been dropping to Keyshawn. So now we're back into the present. The Dirty Dozen group, but when I say Dirty Dozen group, I'm talking about Lil Murder. In this case, Lil Murder, Big Teak, Wody, uh, Keyshawn. Rome isn't in the room yet, but they are celebrating and all the money Keyshawn made. Teak and Murder still beefing. Is even a funny kind of nonverbal moment Keyshawn and Wody have. Like, are these niggas fucking? And he's like, yeah, I think these niggas fucking. <laughs> So uh, they're still arguing, still beefing. It's cute, though, because it's nothing like it's nothing where they're coming at each other's neck. But Teak is definitely salty and murder kind of knows what he did. And I feel like he's trying his best to, like, kind of be cordial with it. But they got to address they got to address because if they don't, they going to be arguing like they in a relationship. But Rome comes in, gives them room cards. Um, but isn't inviting them to the party teak is upset because it's just like you doing this half-ass shit like you viewing us like we lower than you and all that shit like i'm out so murder goes behind him trying to calm him down and um they all leave romans up leaving say i'm about to get ready for this party Bodie points out that he likes Keyshawn's natural hair which is important um and not the blonde weave she be wearing so i wonder I know they said the blonde wig is her final form, but is it her final form before her final form? You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like Keyshawn never really has heard that before. I feel like a lot of people have been hyping her up with the wigs and the lashes she'd be wearing and stuff like that. And she looks beautiful in them, but I don't think she's ever had someone say, I like you for your natural hair. 
She definitely hasn't heard it from her stepmom. Definitely hasn't heard it from people in Chuckalisa. So to hear that, like, I like you for your natural. Like, I feel like that was probably one of the first times she's ever heard that. So then we go back into the past with now Keyshawn is about eight months pregnant. Derek is out of work. He didn't go. I think he had to drop out of college. He just never went to college to, you know, take care of a child he's now having. And all the while during this scene, we hear the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally in the background with the, the, the neo-Nazi and the white supremacists, white terrorists, and their protests. For I don't know why they're protesting, but um, yeah, remember that thing that happened in Charlottesville and the whole shit, but that's happening in the background. So we see uh, the writers are still trying to connect that, just the, the, the stench of America pretty much, and just the turmoil and how it's been building up. Cause now I guess we can assume this is 2017 around that time and shit is still going on. But anyway, uh, that's not even important, but it has everything to do with kind of how they think I would say, but, uh, they get into an argument, uh, about baby clothes and how she, you know, wanted certain baby clothes. And he's just like, you going to take what we give you basically. Um, but she's like, you know, I need more support. I need, you know, like what the fuck is going on? It would be nice if your parents supported in the past. Now they're all of a sudden supporting, I guess. But apparently her father put down the down payment on their duplex. But Derek's rich ass parents are barely supporting. And Keyshawn is pointing out how she's pregnant and she's working nights at Walgreens, taking care of them both, putting gas in his Prius. <laughs> And basically, he's viewing her as a ghetto baby mama figure, like a stereotype. He's resorting back to kind of the racist logic his parents taught him and instilled into him. And his parents are definitely probably viewing him as like a ghetto, you know, you you got with this ghetto hood rat and this is what you deserve without even getting to know Keyshawn. And it takes two to tangle. You know what I mean? All the blame is on her. But she's owning up to her responsibilities and working nights and making sure food is on the table. Literally, she says that. And Derek's ain't, he's not doing shit. He's doing it. He views it as that's what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do, but this is what you deserve. You got us in this situation. So you need to like, in his mind, it's all on her, even though he's the rich one. Um, but Keyshawn basically checks him and he breaks like snaps and then begins to choke her. I feel like with the intent to kill because he was just choking her and choking her as her breasts were slipping out of her. This is apparently the first time Derek has laid hands on Keyshawn while pregnant. Not even while pregnant, but just in general, but while she's pregnant. I mean, both, even if she's not pregnant, still bad, but while she's pregnant, like, this goes to show this nigga has no morals. Um, and Uncle Clifford said it best, like, from then on, a little bit of Keyshawn died that night. And from her death, Miss Mississippi was born. Excuse me. And from their argument revealed so much about how Derek truly feels. He's still racist. He's still elitist. And he's a product of his parents and is abusive. All of that shit stems from his parents and his upbringing and he's never broken out of that cycle. So he's just a part of that cycle and we'll keep it going. So now we're back into the present. It goes, it kind of flip-flops back and forth. So Keyshawn comes in to meet with Rome, who still isn't dressed. And I found that odd. 
He's in his robe, got his slippers on. He tells her that the wig deal fell through and instead he wants her to sell stripper platforms, stripper shoot uh, pleasers. And Keyshawn's like, no, that wasn't the deal. I want a customer base that will be wide. I, You know, everybody want to rock a good wig, but who out here is wearing stripper platforms like that, you know? And it, that makes excellent business sense. But he still tries, has her try on the shoe to see if it fits. And this is, in this story, this is her Cinderella heel. Um, of course, it fits perfectly. And he asks her to try on the clothes with it that he has. Mind you, he's picking out all this shit for her. So it's the same shit that she's dealing with Derek. Having people do, like, pick shit out for you, control you, you have no say. And then uh, she tries on the clothes and had Rome comes in to check her out. But now he's still in his robe. Now, not only is he still in his robe, but he got the robe unraveled with his dick out. And at this point, we already know what's what's going on. Whenever, whenever, you already know what's going on. And at this point, things just spiral out of control. Um, but Keyshawn stands up for herself saying that she's in control. You know, niggas don't have the power. She does. Because he's basically saying like, you know, I got my dick out. You don't like what you see. You a hoe. So what? what's it to you? You don't. You're not supposed to give a fuck about what you're doing. You're supposed to just get on this dick pretty much. Um, but Keyshawn's like, no, that's not what I do. I dance. It's spectacle. Like kind of what Mercedes says, she transports niggas. She's not there to be a nigga's pleasure. She's there to think they have a pleasure and, you know, get the money from them. That's like I said before in the last episode, like the the pink is at the center of this in terms of men thinking they have control, but they actually don't. It's the women and the dancers that have the control. Um, men, they think they do, but at the end of the day, they're giving all their wealth and their riches to these women, thinking they, you know, they got a connection with them, and we see niggas try to save them, try to control them, abuse them, uh, uh, verbally abuse them, treat them like dogs, but at the end of the day, they giving up their money, they giving up their power to these women, they don't even realize it. So the niggas, yes, they don't have the power, and she has the control. So this is definitely an important um, part. Um, but then Rome gaslights her further and saying, like, she owes him for the money that he made her. And then he blackmails her, shows her uh, he has footage of murder and teak together, and will use it against her and them. And things spiral even further, and this is when he just falls on attempts to uh, rape her. And she attacks him and, thank God, escapes and uh, goes up into, uh, knocks on Bodhi's uh, door. Um, and this goes back to what Jocelyn said. They're always going to view you as a hoe. They're not going to view you as a person. So you got to do what you need to do and get elevate in the way you need to. So then from as she's knocking on Bodhi's door, then we go back into the past with her knocking on the stepmom's door. And uh, the stepmom isn't letting, we see Alicia's in the background, so she sees everything that's going on. And the stepmom refuses to let her in. She views her just in the way Derek and Derek's parents probably view Keyshawn as a ghetto baby mama. And the stepmom's like, I don't want my daughters around this and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And 
I told you, you need to make uh, own up to your choices, own up to your responsibilities, and blah, blah, blah. I can't have you in here. Big ass house, couldn't let Keyshawn stay. And of course, with abuse victims, oftentimes the abuse, they get into these situations because they're vulnerable vulnerable in a lot of different ways and especially if you don't have a house or support system to go to you're left vulnerable to uh, an abusive person because you're alone when you're alone they feel like they can do anything and they do do anything to you um so this kind of just sets her up for just further abuse she's alone she feels like she has no one and she has no one in this case um and she got there in the rain by herself pregnant and the stepmom wouldn't even let her in. And judging on the stepmom's age and then just the daughters, she was probably in the same exact situation as Keyshawn. And I can, I don't know, I could, I tweeted at Katori Hall, like, are they, do they have similar upbringings? Because I could just, just the way the lines were and just the action was, like, I feel like the stepmom resonates with Keyshawn and understands Keyshawn in her situation but is like well i got mine she needs to do hers and she just is ten toes down in the elitism colorism of it all and decides like i don't know i feel like the abuse that she went through probably similar to Keyshawn. she didn't let that build her up and she didn't overcome and move on i think she let it consume her and just ended up being a bitter ass woman um so, yeah, now we're back uh, to her knocking on Wody's door. And Keyshawn, Wody lets her in, of course. And Keyshawn tells Wody that Rome tried to rape her, pretty much. And all this time, he was taking advantage of her. And, oh, and that's another thing. He said all the deals, all of that he set up, they're all pending. Pending. Based on if she, whether she gives it up or not, basically. And knowing a nigga like Rome even if she gives it up he's not gonna give it to her he's all about control like whenever you deal with a nigga like that you can't believe anything they say um but anyway she's saying she knows all about little murder and he's willing to basically implicate uh him and everybody else involved and she tells her Wody, like she's finished with the tour fuck the last leg of the tour i'm done and i want to go home so then we go back in the past to a pregnant Keyshawn. She comes in the house and she sees the room with the crib in the middle is full of these flowers. Um, and now we're in the honeymoon phase again where he's apologizing, saying he will never do it again. He's remorseful, all of that. And it's a sick scene. It's a sick scene. You could tell Keyshawn's emotions are pulled all over the place. She's sad but it seems like she's longing for his love and she still loves him she can't trust him at the same time she does she's confused her emotions are all over the place also i tweeted this i said what the fuck how did dare get all this money get all them flowers but don't got the money to pay for her or the baby that's all i gotta say but anyways Keyshawn comes back home to her family and um oh this is we're in the present now she comes back home also i love the black i mean the black the blue uh athletic jumpsuit kind of thing she was wearing but the house feels just very eerie definitely a weird vibe to it 
and uh, Keyshawn lies to Derek, saying that she's home because Rome is reworking the tour, and you know now you know she's home until he finishes that out. And Keyshawn notices that Jaden isn't himself and takes him to see a doctor. Like Jaden is literally the little boy is literally just crying for an odd reason, and a mama knows when her child is um is something wrong. It's it's, it's some unusual crying. Um, and something happened, it's his arm, and it's kind of not dislocated, but it's kind of dislocated in a way. So the doctor fixes his arm, saying it's like Cradle's arm or something like that, nurse, nurse maid's arm, something. And the nurse notices bruises on the baby's back, and now we see Derek is now abusing, taking out his shit on the kid. So now Keyshawn comes home and confronts Derek about the abuse, and Derek, of course, denies the shit and they both get into it and she's saying Derek yes they can cry you know they can get on your nerves they can annoy you but at the end of the day you have to comfort them you can't yell at them you can't try to argue with them they're babies they're kids Jay, uh, the older one the oldest one is three so it's like you have to comfort them and um I mean, like I said, Derek is in, he's continuing the cycle his parents instilled in him. He got beat as a child, so he feels as though these kids need to get beat in the exact same way uh, that he did. And he, in his mind, it's right. In his mind, this is how you go through life. This is how you cope with life. Keyshawn, I don't know if it was a threat or she was serious, but she tells him, like, we're we're leaving. We're leaving. You cannot, you can touch me, but you cannot touch my babies. And um, Derek is trying to just push her away, trying to continue with this interview that he's about to be on. But Keyshawn said, you're not going to get it. And this kind of pulls me back to when Andre, when Brittany tells Andre she's not going to get, he's not going to get it. But this is kind of, it's a little bit different kind of, but I feel like, I feel like both did it to kind of hurt them. But Keyshawn knows Derek is just, he don't got his head on straight. He's probably not going to get it. But anyway. She just says she's just going to go on having to continue to support three and also with his track record as well. But um, she just says she's just going to go have to go on support three kids, including him as a child. And this point, he snaps again, his manhood, his fragility, he's insecure. He snaps and then just takes it out on her and begins beating her. Now, this shit was hard to watch. Drags her to the room, puts an iron to her face like this is definitely one of the hardest scenes next to the uh, sexual assault scene of the series. Both of those scenes were the hardest to watch. Um, and they go there. P-Valley is going there. But um, she just says anything, ex anything, just not my face. Her face is her strength, as what Uncle Clifford said. Her face is her strength. This is where she gets her power from. If you take that away... You take everything away, pretty much. Probably her the way she views herself. So then in the final scene, Wodi arrives to this party. It seems like one of those, like, the music industry parties. It's a lot of coke. It's three people, th uh, three pairs having sex going on. All types of bacchanal and debauchery. All of that is going on. Um, as he, it's, see, It feels like hell. That's what, exactly what it feels like. It feels like just hell. Um, he goes 
to Rome and says he wants to talk to him. And Rome is excited that, like, you know, this nigga wants my advice. He wants my thing because he thinks he's the man. Um, so they go into the back room and Wody offers some of his coke to him. And he has Wody tried out like, oh, I want you to uh, t- uh, take a bump first before, you know, take a line first before I do it. So, of course, he does another line, like a, a separate line that wasn't his. And Rome's dumbass is like, OK, this is enough. You know, I'll, OK, I'll do it then. So then he takes Wody's coke. And uh, while he's, you know, he already took the coke, Wody is fishing for info about like, oh, yeah, I wonder what Keyshawn is doing now that she's not, you know, in the tour. What's her next steps about to be? And then Lil Murder, you know, they get into Lil Murder. Um, Rome talking about, yeah, he can open up for one of my artists and ain't nobody know him yet. So all the while, Wody's just giving how he really thinks about Lil Murder and also a little bit about Keyshawn and how he's obviously lying about Keyshawn. Oh, sorry, y'all. Um, about how she's lying about Keyshawn and stuff like that. And after they talk, Rome starts to choke on the coke and then croaks. I like that. Y'all, y'all like that? But um, Wody is talking about, like, you know, I led your... Uh, not everybody gets, uh, that call through me all. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> not everybody, uh, gets someone that can lead them onto the other side. Um, and now Rome knows that he is dying in real time. And Wody is just looking really like an angel of death. That's the vibes, uh, that we're getting. And Rome's vision is starting to get groggy. He's getting paler. He's, he's, he's dying. Um, and it turns out the coke was laced with fentanyl. That was crazy. That was crazy. Um, and Rome just passes out. Not even pass out. He dies right then and there. And Vody exits the room. And, you know, got a little grin, grin and does that wink that they were all doing, you know, to kill somebody. You know, that fake game they were doing. And I knew that was going to ha- I knew that was going to have a, a purpose. I knew it. I knew it. Um, but yeah, now Rome is dead. Also, fun fact, Wody buried Rome's mom. But anyway, uh, Wody did what he had to do. Wody did what he had to do. That's all I got to say. Now, let's move on to its giving. This was a, a dark but powerful episode. One, 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 two, 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 two. Okay, now we are back um this part of the episode is entitled after this episode it's giving where i basically just let you know what this episode is given i let you know what themes is given what common threads i even give a score at the end so that's basically the vibes of this it's you know it's a it's a time to just talk about the episode in general as a whole so I, of course, the uh, the main theme in here is abuse and control. I feel like along with, ooh, excuse me, along with the other stars of P Valley, I feel like abuse is definitely a common thread between them all. We got Autumn and Montavious. We got Mercedes and her mom. We got Uncle Clifford and her ex. All of these characters have been through abuse in some way, shape, or form. And it's the characters that we know of um, 
who knows the other you know the other character stories you know one can imagine that they are also going through something similar but we notice that is a common thread with all of them and we see how it shapes these characters autumn is somebody that's very she's very much an isolationist um especially after losing her daughter who i think is still alive but um especially after i mean at the end of the day she's still lost the daughter's still lost so she has lost her daughter but i think the daughter's still alive um but autumn moves in a lookout for me and look out for me only and get this money up and fuck everybody else i feel like that was a product of her um i don't know because montavious also says she's an easy uh, easy bitch to love but even an easier bitch to hate and she's stone cold but maybe she was just a, i don't know we need we need a background on autumn but it seems like autumn might have been that way even before montavious so who knows what you know she's been through before him but at the end of the day she was getting abused by montavious so um that probably hardened her even more um then we see mercedes her mom is definitely psychologically abusive definitely emotionally abusive mentally abusive like she's and then it seemed like the mom kind of pimped her daughter out to a man for some money so a rich man it seems like so yeah the mama definitely abusive and we see how mercedes is she she's very um mercedes is always trying to prove herself as worthy in one shape one way or another especially when it comes to her daughter but we see she knows she's that bitch but she still has kind of that side of her that's very uh very 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 vulnerable i mean as we all do but is definitely triggered by feelings where she's inadequate and we see she really doubles down and really feels inadequate when she feels inadequate um because her mom never made her feel like a full adult woman i feel like i feel like her mom still kind of treats her like a child and doesn't let her have her say and controls her but through very subtle manipulative ways so we kind of see mercedes is still kind of in the binds of that a little bit uncle clifford seems to have at least from what we've seen has has surpassed not i don't want to use the word surpassed but she has risen above and has become a leader a strong leader of course we all have our bad days sad days but she is she's strong she's strong and a lot of mentally emotionally she's strong and she has a lot of strength to spare and then some so i really would love to see her background and how she dealt with her ex but um we i mean from that hint that we got maybe that i mean a part of the reason you know that she is the way she is because she rose above and she decided to change her own narrative so um yeah we'll we see how these characters deal with abuse and how it shapes who they are right now um and maybe these women have a lot to learn from uncle clifford and they do they are actively learning from uncle clifford um in the case of Keyshawn, i feel like she might be on the precipice of rising above and becoming the legend it seems like that she's meant to be i think mercedes main goal in life isn't you know necessarily even money just money to 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 have stability for her and her daughter i think her 
her goal is to prove herself as worthy in her daughter's eyes not so much society's eyes but mainly in her daughter's eyes and maybe a little bit in her mom's eyes too autumn's goal just seems to just be getting money she's she her humanity is pretty much gone i feel like and she's kind of she's she 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 is stone cold not kind of she is stone cold um so yeah uncle clifford's goal at this point seems to just be self-fulfillment like she still doesn't seem satisfied but anyway all of that um i feel like Keyshawn she is a legend she she's a soon-to-be legend she she is a legend in her own right as uncle clifford said and i think the only thing stopping her is just getting out of that abusive situation and just empowering her own self so we'll see i think she's right at the point of rising above all that bullshit and that kind of is a good uh leeway into just the theme of just taking back your power um with Keyshawn, I think we're going to, she's going to be used, her character is going to be used as a vehicle of what it looks like to actively take back your power and control your own story and narrative. Keyshawn has been through the ringer. She's been sexually abused. She's been uh, physically abused, emotionally abused, psychologically abused, all of it. Um, but if we're able to see a character that can still push past and make something of herself not even in a economic sense but just as a person um as a full-fledged mom full-fledged dancer full-fledged person to see her overcoming all that i think that's going to be make for a powerful story for Keyshawn and a great representation of what it looks like for uh for the viewers out there and whoever is watching um and I, I still see, like, for me, I'm like, don't get it twisted. Although Derek did beat her, she still had the courage to stand up to him when it came to her kids. And that still means a lot. She still had the courage to fight Rome back and stand up for herself and stand up for what she believes in and to still escape from Rome. You know, um, I think at this point, she's at her last straw. She's been through the ringer, but I think she's at her last strong when it comes to her kids. Then a nigga openly manipulating her, trying to assault her. She's at her last straw. And I think she's going to take control of her life moving forward. Um, and I think it's going to be powerful to see her rise up to greatness, which I think she will. Now, the future of Keyshawn, I, I mean, with that, I do believe that. But now I'm like, will CPS come now that there's evidence of the son being bruised up and possibly checking in to see if she lives in an abusive household? Will Wody be her new manager? I don't want it to be. I, I think Wody would be a great manager for her, but I don't want it to be kind of a a love story or relationship between her and Wody in that way. I think Wody is just a very good positive man in her life but i would like to see Keyshawn just do Keyshawn on her own you know without a nigga i just want her to see her rise above and just doing what she needs to do on her own accord but i can see Wody being her new manager for sure um also will she ever go back to the pink is the pink a, a back step or is it somewhere where she needs to go back to to kind of restore herself gain her strength back but and she's kind of excluded from the pink so she'll will she what's going to happen what's going to happen is she going to tell the truth to everyone is she going to explain her story 
I feel like everybody still has love for Keyshawn. I feel like Uncle Clifford still has love for Keyshawn. I think Diamond still has love for Keyshawn. But I don't think they are ever they have ever sat down and understood Keyshawn from her perspective. So will she go back to the pink and explain herself? I don't know. Or will she stop stripping altogether? Who knows? Uh, is she done with this dancing shit? Is she just going to go straight up influencer shit? Is she going to take a break from all of that? I'm very curious to see what her next steps will be. I think overall she will definitely rise above. But I'm very curious to see what her next steps will be. Now with Rome's death, the after effects of that, will Lil Murder and Woda be, implica be implicated? Because he left like right like seconds after he died he didn't even leave like before he dropped dead so obviously there was witnesses i don't think anybody's gonna snitch like that but it's looking suspect especially if you were traveling on the road with him or are the authorities just not gonna give a fuck because it's an od and it's a black man i don't know and will that give extra attention to the dirty dozen group in general Will the video ever leak, even though he handled that? I don't know. So I'm very curious to watch this next episode and see what happens with it. Overall, this episode is definitely getting a solid A, a magical A. Um, a magical episode. I'm so corny, but definitely if you wanted to give it a number, I would say like a 95 just for the creativity of it all uh shannon thornton's acting she took you through a range of everything um the the visuals of it all the costumes of it all the concept of it all this shit is a solid a and is definitely one of the best episodes of p valley all the episodes are good but season two is coming with some shit to prove as as the next up and coming iconic show um in black tv history for sure i didn't even have to think that long to give it a score i already knew i was gonna give it um so yeah that's what it's giving y'all and uh let's close out the show so there y'all have it that was p valley season two episode five white nights um yeah like i said it was a strong 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 episode i i'm really looking forward to the next episode it's already out I, it just came out but it's a sunday right now and I, my bad also y'all i know y'all haven't been on the edge of y'all seats waiting for these episodes this isn't even to shit on myself but that's just reality but in general i apologize for not apologize my bad not even my bad it, it's a little late it's fine i feel like not many have caught up with it yet and that's fine um but this episode will be coming out a little later than i want it to but it's whatever i feel like people are watching it a little late anyway but um also i'm glad i've been getting a lot of support on my little recap videos of uh p valley so i really appreciate that I'm going to reconfigure. After this show, I already got shit planned out. I'm going to reconfigure what I'm featuring a little bit. Um, things will be not different, but just what I'm reviewing will be a little different, I would say. And 
also going to branch out to a, another channel soon, not another platform, excuse me, as of yet, but another channel, because I, I want to review some other types of stuff, but, um, and just manifest, damn, I do want to co-host, I'm not going to lie, I do want to co-host, but right now, there just hasn't been the right one, it hasn't been the right one, pretty much, um, so I'm going to just hold this shit down on my own right now. And yeah, this was a tangent. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I forget what the next episode is called, but we're already past uh, episode five. So we're more than halfway done with the season. Uh, also, P-Valley will be taking a week break after episode six and we'll be returning July 24th. So it will be a little bit of a pause before y'all will hear back from me when it comes to P-Valley. And that's okay. That's okay. We'll be back as usual. Um, my Not the next one, but my next set of episodes will hopefully have a little bit of surprise. It'll be a little bit different. So I'm looking forward to uh, doing that. And we'll see where we'll go from there. Um, as usual, looking forward to talking with y'all again. Uh, feel free to reach us, reach out to me on any of the platforms, either on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, even um, where we, we have a fun time. I'm trying to build a stronger base so we can have even a better time. So feel free to interact on there. And yeah, I can't wait to talk with y'all soon. Bye.